Good evening, I'm Orla Mears. And I'm Ricardo Deacon. And this is The Recommendation Game. So each week we take turns to pick a film the other has not seen and we meet to discuss it. We believe films, good and bad, create a forum for discussion and thought. Uh, we recommend our listeners to watch the film as there are spoilers ahead. So this week's film is The Wind Rises, which came out in 2013. It's directed by Hayao Miyazaki, produced by Toshio Suzuki and written by Miyazaki. Now the main cast is Joseph Gordon-Levitt, Emily Blunt and John Krasinski. So the IMDb synopsis is a look at the life of Jiro Hirokoshi, a man who designed Japanese fighter planes during World War II, which is short and sweet. So this film was uh, chosen by Ricardo. So Ricardo, why did you pick this film? Well, the IMDb synopsis, uh, as they often do, kind of short sells this movie. <laughs> Just like me, yes. It sounds like the most boring movie ever. Um, the reason that I chose this film is because I wanted to get Orla's take on a few themes and issues that arise from the movie. It's a very interesting movie in the way that it relates both to fiction and history mm. and also how it relates to Miyazaki's own work. So I wanted to yeah. to have a conversation regarding all of that. It's a film that has a lot of topics to touch upon. Mm, and I'm definitely. sure that we're going to miss a few. Yeah. But it's also the kind of movie that I had no idea how Orla, what Orla's take was going to be. I did not know <laughs> well, she would like it or not. That's interesting. Okay. And I just wanted to see what kind of reaction she would get from the movie. Because I know that she's seen some Miyazaki's movie. Mm. But I know that she's not the number one fan of Miyazaki. And since this also strays from his previous work mm. in the sense of its themes, the way that it deals with its main character mm-hmm. and the way that it deals with the world that he creates. Yeah. So, uh, Orla, what did you think of The Wind Rises? <laughs> uh, okay, well, I liked this film. Um I think it's interesting, yeah, how it deals with reality and how it differs from a lot of his films and how it doesn't have that whimsical sort of element of it. Like, it, there's, it's whimsical, but it, it's all the whimsical elements are within dreams. And I like that element of it. Like, I thought that it was an interesting how he creates this quite realistic world, but he's sort of just, there's little things in it that are his touches that are like especially in things like the sound design and everything which we'll get to later which I think is very interesting um I did have problems with this film um one I think it has an <laughs> it's another film where <laughs> much like last week the ending is very problematic for me um I find for a film that is quite long it's not a short film it has a very strangely in some ways abrupt ending so you know, that's that's kind of, that was my, <laughs> one of my main problems with it. The second being uh, the strange use, especially from a filmmaker who has had some quite strong female characters. I had a, a definite problem with the character of um, Naoko, his wife. I, I can't, it's a character that in so many ways has so little agency. But, you know, it, it it's at the start, she is an interesting character and how she's sort of established and how they kind of find each other again. But then ultimately how she's just sort of there to serve his dream in some strange way. Like, and then, and then also that sort of 
with that kind of weird sainted like sainthood element of it and how like you know she died and you know it's she's like this pure sort of she has a character with almost no no character traits it's it's almost that like oh she paints or you know but it's not that's never explored it's never you know it's nothing is ever as important as him creating these planes and he's the main character so he's always going to have more attention paid to his journey but she is a character that is quite prominent in the end of it and even even if you compare her to say the character of the boss's wife who's a character that's she's only in a few scenes they're staying with her kind of at the end of the film and even just in the very small scenes where you see her kind of um, interacting with her husband and how she deals with him and he's very highly strung and you get more from her than you ever get from from the character of Naoko like I, I it's it was it was confusing to me, and then it just it just ends, and well, like, I, f- I feel like it was a film that was a lot, you know kind of an awful lot of like I think journey is very important in this film. I think it's kind of interestingly bookmarked, but I f- I do feel that once she's brought in as a serious character, that it kind of falls apart in in their relationship, and also even in his kind of work and. I don't know, it just fell flat at the end for me. And I, at, at that point, it really had me because, you know, I really liked his character. Um, I thought, like, how it was dealing with everything that was going on in the world. And I thought that was very interesting. It was a very interesting setting. It was a very interesting kind of... It was a very interesting theme. So when it kind of started to unravel, it, I, it was, I was quite, yeah, disappointed. Well, this is one of the reasons that I picked this movie. Because I, I thought it, that... I knew it. <laughs> I do have some issues with this movie, but strangely enough, Naoko's representation is not the biggest issue that I have. Yeah. Uh, perhaps it's knowing Miyazaki's track record. Mm. I would never take him for somebody that would take a female character lightly. That's, I think that, that's why I was kind of confused. There's two things. Uh, why I think the Miyazaki intended to pre- present the character as he did. Mm. And I think that was a huge risk mm. in the sense that it would divide audiences in, the, mm. in the, that sense. I think that for one, uh, Jiro Horikoshi's story yeah. is beat by beat based on real life. Yeah, yeah. But Naoko's story. Until the end, when it was. But Naoko's character is fictional. She comes from a novel called The Wind Has Risen. So it's a part of the thing that I want to discuss is about creativity and the sense of bringing that in. Because I think that, that the film is kind of a eulogy to what Japan used to be before the war. Mm. But in a way that even during the war, it's kind of oblique in its representation of the war. If you see Grave of the Fireflies, it's set in War Two and it's far more harrowing than the wind, is, yeah. the wind Rises. But I think that the, the reason the Naoko character is there and the, the reason that she's a painter for one is that straight away is the sense of her life not being ever going to be able to create what she wants to create as an artist because it was, it was always shortchanged by her TB. So I think yeah. that her way, like... Uh, coming from I've seen the movie before I read the interviews but mm. reading interviews with Miyazaki that he came to the point that her way of being creative is through him mm. is that like her view of being able to create something is through him as in that they're almost that her masterpiece is the zero as mm-hmm. much as Jiro's 
because of the fact that she knows that she is she is gonna die fairly soon and is always referred to the fact that like they shouldn't get married because she's gonna die Mm -hmm. he he shouldn't see her because she's gonna die and she tries to push him away going like i'll be um uh, we'll marry when i'm okay and you both know that tb it was incurable at that time Mm. so i think that when her the deal that she made with herself for allowing herself to be with Jiro was to be the support for the small time that she would be there for him Mm. so like in the scenes when he comes back from work and it's very tender i felt when he still has to work and he sets up next to her and she's like come on have a smoke i know that you want to smoke and i feel that if you don't have the perspective that i took of the film it would be problematic but mm-hmm. because from the moment that i saw her painting i was like and i found out that she had tb i was like okay her yeah. creativity will never flourish because creativity is such a big theme in the movie yeah that i think that it was very uh, important because miyazaki is very precise mm. in the the way of every mm, frame and yeah. everything and i think it's not by chance that he chose her to be painting when they meet again no 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 i i don't i don't think so but for me, it it doesn't come across because you only see her in relation to him. You only see yeah. her in scenes with him. Like when he comes home and it's late and everything. And, you know, she's probably been lying there the whole, you know. And it's not really until like her, his sister is kind of like, what are you doing? Like she's, you know, you know it's it's interesting that, you know, it kind of, the sister kind of in a way voices what I've kind of, you know, that I felt when I was watching it. But you don't. You don't see her outside of him. Well, like you know, I think it's, that's what it's, the... so she doesn't she doesn't feel well rounded. Like it's I can see how like definitely the creativity is very important in this film and that her being a painter is not an accident, certainly. But it's just never developed. So even this in the smallest ways it doesn't feel developed. So it feels like it doesn't feel like she is living through him necessarily yeah the other part that uh, i will bring to this mm. and i'm not saying that i disagree completely mm. like i mentioned that i think that it is for many people be a problematic thing is that uh, also considering that the movie has such a part, like focus point of view that is all through jiro's eyes yeah. even the dreams and everything and i think that everybody else he sees as an honest person mm. as a, that he sees them honestly within himself. Mm. That in a way, I think that Kurokawa mm. is not his boss, is not as high strung as he yeah. is. It's just that in Jiro's mind, he mm. is just this madman. And I think that when you're in love and you know that it's going to be a short love, there is this reaction to sainthood, the person, regardless of the sex in that mm. way. Because all you see is that you're never going to be old enough to get tired of that person and get tired of the little things and stuff. Is that he yeah, you sees the short... The, the short burst of love. Yeah. And I think that as well, like, the, um, the, it's particularly salient, this, when you see how the war and the Japanese government is treated in this movie. Mm. It's nearly forgotten because Jiro is focused on building this plane yeah so the film forgets the war you don't see the fire bombings on tokyo you don't yeah. see the the suffering in the mm. streets 
you see it beforehand when the, he goes to the, fact, the Mitsubishi factory the first time. Mm. But you don't see it throughout the movie. And I think that that's as well a way that makes you think that Kurosawa wanted you to... Sorry, Kurosawa. Miyazaki <laughs> wanted you to... They have similar names. I'm sorry. Uh, the, I have made this mistake in the past. The Miyazaki wanted you to uh, realize that the film is part of his dream. And mm. I think that's why dreams are so important because you're watching a dream and that's not only true to this film but also true to all of other Miyazaki's work. He's always been attend to mood and focusing scene by scene mm. than uh, the overall picture in a way. Yeah. And I think that the mood carried me through all the issues that I have with the movie that we're going to get at. Mm. But it's the kind of movie my take was that I have a lot of issues, but because the mood of the movie carried me and it's very natural for an episodic film mm, like this to be... They're almost like little vignettes in a way. And I do I do like that um, a lot of, especially in the first movie, two thirds, like a lot of the scenes or not scenes, but say different sections of his life are bookmarked by train journeys, yeah. which I quite liked. And I kind of think the use of like trains are quite prominent within this film yeah and yeah I, I think that i kind of read that as it's because as well like technology and old technology and there's so much talk of that and that like japan is left in the past and you know this new modern german technology um i thought it was interesting kind of how the train is quite prominent as almost like the symbol of the old of old technology of old and then like these big you know black like sort of dirty trains just there like steaming yeah, still steam when everybody yeah, was in diesel you know, already I thought, I thought that was kind of interesting and uh, it also brings to the the, the first question that i had is mm. like the the first set piece in the movie which would be the earthquake scene mm. and the first thing is the that i would say is that watching this movie the first time i kind of forgot that i was watching an animated movie yeah. Until the earthquake. Well, like, obviously in the beginning when he's a kid and you have the dream sequences, yeah, it's like, I'm that's... in an animated movie. Mm. And then you kind of forget. You have that little train journey, the mm. ferry journey between Jiro and his sister that is very kind of uh, realistic. And this mood that I, I'll keep referring back mm. to, the scenes that nothing happens and doesn't move the story or the characters yeah, through but, but it are... makes you set on that world mm. and before that you have the first set piece which is the earthquake yeah. and uh, it, I felt that it was very very striking and mm. in a way that I think it was I never seen an earthquake in a movie that made me feel that it felt so visceral mm. and it could only be made in animation just the way that the the earth mm. undulates as a wave, as it goes on, or just the the whoosh before yeah. when you see the the aftershock, the mm. waves coming towards the land, and the whole sound design drops, and you just hear mm. like a whoosh sound coming yeah. through, it. and it's like I felt tingling in my spine, and it just broke my ass laughing as the train collapses after the whole thing, mm. and Jiro, voiced by Joseph Gordon Levitt, <laughs> very nonchalantly says earthquake <laughs> i was like no shit <gasps> yeah um <clears throat> do you have a question there or? well my question is uh how uh do you think uh animation dealt with the set pieces in the movie mm. i do agree with especially for the earthquake that it is kind of something that you could never do you know it is animation really does 
bring that to life. Like it's, it is, it's like no other earthquake you've seen. But what I, I think what's most interesting is the combination in all those set pieces between particularly the earthquake, between the visual and the sound. I think the sound on this is really, really interesting. Just in their use of, like you see it in the earthquake, you see it in the planes as well. Like the, the kind of sounds that they're using are of, often quite like, you know, animalistic almost you know like you're kind of getting like from the planes they're almost like even when they're starting they sound like wasps they sound like you know you're getting a kind of a thrum of and it's it's unsettling yeah you know it's it feels because it's 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 all you know it's it's this weird it just unsettled me in a way and definitely in the earthquake as well that i find like a lot of it um it almost sounded like the hissing was like a snake oh was, yes yeah like and it and even and then the use of it's almost like chanting like kind of a, a strange combination between like drums but it's it's like a voice it sounds like chanting and it really like I, I think that in the combination between that and then how visually it appears is really really interesting like I think that adds like the two things in combination are incredibly interesting I think the other thing that I was gonna ask you is one of the reasons that I uh, chose this movie mm. is that I have a very uh, well-rounded knowledge of World War II, mm -hmm. which obviously this movie encompasses. Yeah. And I know that you do also have a, in broad strokes, let's say, but not in the same level of like in-depth knowledge of no. airplanes and designs the, and stuff. What was the anniversary that you reminded me of today? Oh yeah, that today is the Armistice Day, the <laughs> 11th day of the 11th month of the 11th hour. I did not know what that was. End of the First World War, but... To that extent, is the my question is uh, about the Zero aircraft, the mood that I got knowing what that aircraft would eventually be mm. and signify. And I think that Miyazaki takes for granted that the audience knows how good that plane was mm. and also the history of the plane and the fact that there is very few living planes because at the end of the war, mm. the Japanese started doing the kamikazes and they were all, all zeros. Did Miyazaki, this is one of the biggest issues that I've had with the film is that I don't know if he addresses correctly the level that he, his character is so passionate about creating instruments of war. And it's referred to a few times, but it's yeah. kind of uh, pushed aside, like when the the Italian the Caparelli, the the Caproni, the, the Caproni sorry, Italian. the Italian designer that is in Jiro's dreams. He says that airplanes are broken dreams that are meant to. Mm. They're they're always landing, crash and stuff. And knowing from history as well, the Caproni did bombers for the Italian Air Force for both the First World War and the Second World War. Mm. It's kind of how did you take that? Did you have an issue with this whole creativity for a weapon of war? Uh, no, I don't. I know. I think it, it's it's established enough that because it, it's established not just by Caproni, but at other points as well. Like even through like the conversations between like the two lads, just like talking about what they're doing, and I think it's it's clear that they wrestle with what they're doing, certainly, and. Even though, like, I didn't know the precise history of, but you know what they're doing. You know, there's never any doubt of what they're building for. You know, and any even the vaguest knowledge of World War Two, you can know what's going to happen with those planes. So no, I think that if it had been more, like, hammered home, or 
more illust- I don't really know. I, I, for me, there is enough of that. Because no, Mia, but may, Mia... maybe like it. It doesn't come from Jiro very much, but to me, Jiro is. He's not a you know. I I don't read Jiro. He's not sorry. <laughs> I don't read him as like a bad person, but he is very single minded. Yeah. You know, like he is. He's not selfish, but. He's Once so, he's in it, nothing else exists. He's very obsessive, very, very single-minded. So that, and it's a clear reflection on Miyazaki as well, who's uh, yeah, a yeah. single man until this day. Yeah. And I think, in a way, uh, going back to the Naoko love story, that I think it, it might be too fantastical for that sense. That mm-hmm. knowing that is Miyazaki's last movie as well, and he knew that that would be his last movie. Yeah. That he kind of put in the perfect relationship because even though. His other movies have, uh, there's not a lot of love in the sense of once they are together. Like in Kiki's Delivery Service, the the two kids end together at mm. the end of the movie. In uh, in Princess Mononoke, uh, they don't end together, but they reveal their feelings for each other at the end of the movie. Yeah. So it, it, there's never way, been uh, poor Corosa is about being lonely because you look like a pig even though you're a fighter <laughs> play pilot and yeah. and uh, yeah that, that's that's interesting that maybe in in his mind you know it is kind of like that it's you know, like what what do they say about love that like you know only only love that is short lived can be that perfect because it, yeah, so it never mind, was it never is, untainted yeah like it's always there's always they know that but then you see like in spirited away. Yeah. The, the the parents in Spirited Away, like, there's that kind of, like, you've been married for 20 years yeah. and you kind of yeah, get into see, each other's chops, even though there's no lesser love. But I think mm. that it does come, I think, as well, coming back to the theme of war, the Miyazaki himself felt very, uh, he wrote originally The Wind Rises as a uh, graphic novel. Yeah. And his producer convinced him to make him make the feature film and the thing that came to him doing the graphic novel he said that he did it as a hobby because he had this contradiction in his mind Mm. because he is a pacifist Mm. and at the same time he knows that the zero was a formidable airplane and caused and by being a good airplane it caused a lot of deaths but at the same time it's something that Japan could be proud of in the sense of like a pure engineering point of view mm. and I think that maybe in my point of view he he tries to wrestle too much with that in the sense of not to control himself from putting those questions in the movie because I think that if there was a, a higher level of of threat from the secret police in japan and yeah. about the horrors of the war and stuff i would be able to to give it a pass but because the rest is also paired back it's almost that you're yeah. living in this world that he's building a plane that is not gonna kill anybody because I, yeah, the, I, it, I don't know if, for me i didn't find that a problem because because he is so and like you said that it is so his perspective so like it's literally from when you know, like, how old is he at the start? Maybe 10 yeah. or like from like from that point onwards, he is focused on this one, you know, and it's that kind of level of like obsessive creativity. That he that blocks everything else. Kind of, yeah. So I don't, I didn't really have a problem with that, that it's not more, 
more represented. And in yeah. a way, when it gets to the end, when we discuss the ending, mm-hmm. uh, there because I have questions about the ending okay. as well. Okay. But I'll get back to this. Okay. The <laughs> other question that I have for you is from 1 to 10. How high did you shirk when Werner Herzog shows up? Oh my god, I was so excited. I had no idea he was on this phone. And literally your man sits down and said one word and I was like... <gasps> <laughs> Whipped out my phone. I am it and it was confirmed. My boy Werner. Would have been hilarious <laughs> if it was like a dude like doing a poor impression of Werner Herzog. Because he sounds like an impression of Werner Herzog. He's a parody of himself. Like, it's so funny. But I do... I oh, do when he sings. When oh my he God. Sings, when he sings. It's just so bizarre. But amazing. Why are all the Japanese singing in German? Yeah, that's I why no I never, never explained that. <laughs> but it, it's hilarious as well how he just shows up in like a little cameo and then disappears and screws Hijira's life up by just being <laughs> there. when he drives off is so funny. Uh, yeah, it, it's funny because he's, he's like that weird mix of being creepy but also kind of being lovable. Like yeah. when he's there at the table. Like the like, drunk uncle. Jiro's like, yeah, exactly. He's the drunk uncle that you want to invite just because he's entertaining. <laughs> he's just there kind of like, you know, he is a good boy. <laughs> whispering. No no wonder he was she whispering be- about... She's a beautiful girl. <laughs> <laughs> no wonder he was whispering considering that everybody uh, spoke German there. Because yeah. he's speaking German to Jiro. Which is weird when you're watching a film in English. Yeah. Uh, that they don't shift at all. But I presume that it was speaking German because the way that they speak about German cigarettes and the homeland and all these things. Yeah, yeah. Um, but like the voice work in general, I felt that it was spot on. Oh, good. Yeah, uh, definitely. Like, yeah. I've never seen Martin Short do anything good. And his Kurokawa, <laughs> the, the, the boss, like when whatever you say about Naoko's uh, character when the wedding scene and he becomes like a dad yeah i yeah, cried yeah. like a I baby i really liked his character his character has a real kind of you know his little little arc in there and even if you're especially when you consider it to be set in japan in the ultra post-samurai imperialist era that mm. like you still had this samurai idea of perfection but towards the empire that everybody was like good and proper in uniform then you had this wild madman just cycling around like he doesn't even <laughs> cycle he hops on the back of bicycles and takes them to weird cafes at the outskirts of the of the factories but like i really enjoyed the the voice work uh, altogether i just i just realized though i'm even more offended now by the character of naoko because it's it's voiced by emily blunt and you don't even realize emily blunt because yeah, she, she has a short change she has about four lines emily blunt is one of the like you know most interesting you know voices act- and... actors as well you know an actor who's done a lot of very strong female characters i was like well oh, such a waste like i do th- like i do agree and the more we talk the more issues I have with the Noko character. Oh, and you. You're kind of ruining the film for <laughs> so me a bit. But sorry, not sorry. But in a way it's like uh, like I said before, it's yeah, like uh it's an imperfect film. There's mm, a lot of yeah, pacing but... issues, there's uh, a yeah, historically definitely. um historically like I don't <clears throat> like even if the Noko character was portrayed correctly Mm. i do still feel that unless he knocked it out of the park a hundred percent that would have warranted putting such a slice of fiction into a such a true story Mm. and even though jiro's character my arc might have been diminished by the lack of a female love uh 
interest. I think that he could have, as a filmmaker, instead of introducing a story from a different book, to perhaps like uh, use one of the other characters if you wanted a love story, like Jiro's friend, and then it would be like the contrast mm. between somebody that is creative but normal and somebody that is completely obsessed. <laughs> I did enjoy that weird thing where his friend is like, you know, oh yeah, I'm getting married, you know, when you've got a job, you got to have like a wife and kids at home. <laughs> it's like, what? <laughs> Well, also, it's a uh, culturally speaking, mm, like, yeah, uh, it's it, funny. It's the, the thing is that it's very uh, important to note that, like, his sister is a doctor in mm. pre World War yeah, that's, that's Japan. Quite... And I think that Naoko's character is just a traditional role for a female character in the sense of not as in a fictional character, mm. but as in a female person in, in that generation, in that culture. So it, it, like it, the historical context <laughs> in the sense of her job as the housekeeper, let's say, not that I'm agreeing to yeah, say yeah, yeah. The, the least. I completely disagree with, with <laughs> that to, yeah, yeah. to make it clear. But it's at the same time, it's like saying if you make a movie set in, in South Carolina in the 1860s <laughs> that the characters are not racist. Like, yeah. it's like, not yeah, that every character is racist, that, but... It kind of goes back to, you can portray racism and sexism without being racist and sexist. Yeah. Uh, you know, and you think Miyazaki is being sexist here? Mm. <laughs> no, it's a, like, if you think it's a fair point, like, I'm not saying that it's not... <laughs> I mean, he's being sexist, or else he's just written a bad character. Yeah, like or I, both. Well, considering his track record, I would give him the benefit of the doubt mm, and yeah. say that he wrote a bad character because, like, yeah, no, I, I, I don't think it was overtly because this would probably be the only film that yeah. has a bad female I know. character. That's that's my hence my sort of disappointment. Like especially when you compare it you know? to like Kiki's Delivery Service, that is yeah. a whole film about the coming of age of a girl who's thirteen, and it's the most genuine mm. coming of age that I've seen, like yeah. boy or girl, in years. In the sense that I've seen it fairly recently. Yeah, um, I know that he can he can write great female characters. So, yeah, I don't know. The other. Uh, well, we get to the end of the movie, mm-hmm. and uh, my take at the end, because I know that you have a problematic take at the end. So I just <laughs> want to see how you take it from after listening to my take. Okay. My take was that when Naoko dies and his plane finally flies, he finally doesn't have any stronghold in the world. Mm-hmm. That's why the wind blows and he suddenly the war exists that Miyazaki has been hiding. Mm-hmm. And that's what I said of coming back as well when about the, the airplanes and stuff mm. is that the first shot is a graveyard of airplanes and he goes the other side. He Over-exaggeration, the other side. That suddenly, instead of a field with a couple of down airplanes in the middle of the war, mm. it's like up to the horizon. Yeah. Then you look up and it's like the fire bombing of Tokyo and you of not even Tokyo, it's like a little village mm. somewhere and there's like people just in the in the paddy fields uh looking at this town burn and you see like thousands and thousands of B twenty nine American airplanes like yeah. flying overhead. And then you get to the dream 
and when you get to the dream the first thing that you see is the the formation of of zeros mm. going and they salute zero and then they go and join all the other zeros mm. and the distance. when zero says not a single one came back yeah that broke my heart because it was like the moment that he truly realized everything else yeah what was in the movie itself like it, I, uh, I had no problem with his revelation there like i you that, just had a problem with jumping from you went there and then yeah, the wind rises uh, yeah to <laughs> kind of it was just this weird it was like oh she did oh this no you know it was it was weird and so it's sort of was jarring kind uh, yeah of? i find it i find it quite jarring and then it just ends and it was yeah well i did find the first time that i watched it i I didn't find the that part particularly problematic, but I found uh, how there's like you must live, you must live. Yeah. I was like, oh no, and then not even Emily Blunt could sell that. No. But then Stanley Tucci goes, "Come to my house, I have very good <laughs> wine," and it's like the most racist Italian character ever. But it killed me. It was hilarious. Stanley like, and it, it was yeah. like, yeah, it, it's Come a weird. It's the it's the as a Latin person, my apologies to all Italians out there. <laughs> but it is a problematic film in so many ways. Mm-hmm. Like I think structurally, uh, I think characters Jiro's journey is not that interesting, even though his character is very mm, interesting yeah. and likable. Uh, like um, the the obsession about creativity and what Miyazaki says about what the obsession does to you yeah is very interesting coming from a perfectionist like him but in the end it's like it's the mood and the in the tone of the movie that got me through it is in the sense that it is a very a film you can tell that every frame was painted with love yeah and for all its flaws all I can see it's the beauty of it that I rather have seen it and know that it's flawed, mm. but know yeah, that it like, exists. I did. I did still enjoy an awful lot of this. Like it was, you know, it didn't. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't hate it. <laughs> you know, I'm glad I've seen it definitely because it it does raise a lot of very interesting questions. I think. And well, I thought, especially in regard. I actually thought career. that you could have hated it so i was like <laughs> oh i'll just have a, a pop at this one okay and okay, okay that's right i'm guessing mm. uh, I, I might be clairvoyant mm, i might have okay. been touched by the spirits but i guess uh, your right. least favorite thing in the movie is how the naoko character is treated yeah okay <laughs> for me like mentioned is the 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 history mm. and the fact that he deviates so much from history without knocking it out of the park is a different way of assessing the Naoko character being there. Mm. I think that it's two movies pasted together. Yeah. And yeah. Well, sometimes yes. it works, sometimes it doesn't. And that's the biggest problem structurally in the movie. And then there's other problems as well. But that was the thing that I liked the least. Mm. What was your favorite thing? Um, Definitely the sound design. I thought that that was very like really special really really interesting and throughout in in you know in big dramatic scenes and in smaller scenes i thought that yeah even the clicks of the lighters and it makes you even even like i think like whenever the earthquake and like little pebbles and just 
really really well done it has layers and layers you can mm. just imagine like the pro tools for has like 150 <laughs> lines on a 700 tracks well uh, the music of the film is my favorite thing uh, it carries the movie through all its little bumps and rides it kind of mm. grabs your hand in a way that uh, funnily enough the, the discussion that we had last week mm. about weekend the music is that you you can be uh, very on in your face musically if the tone is perfect yeah if the tone is not perfect it just stands out it's terrible yeah but there's nothing better i feel as a as a audience member mm. when the swell of a song or a piece of music comes in with the right visuals yeah. and just that combination makes it like the uniqueness of the medium which is a mixture of sound and images yeah and especially in something that is animated is that everything in there is for a reason mm. there's no accidents in the sense of like in a midnight cowboy a car <laughs> showing up and you're like i'm walking here like th- that that would never happen in animation so even yeah. like the little mistakes like in the lego movie it's like a mistake <laughs> on purpose and i don't think uh, the i thought that i was gonna mention the lego movie on this review <laughs> but um, i did so uh that wraps it up for it this does. week uh Next week is Orla's pick. So what film are you choosing, Orla? Uh, the Conversation. One of my biggest blind spots yes, as a film certainly. fan. So I'm looking forward to seeing if it is a blind spot or I did well in avoiding it for all these years. <laughs> yes. So until next time, uh, I was Ricardo Deacon. And I was Orla Martinez. Goodbye.